In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. I'm back for a show this week. So you've got me. Paul is out tonight. So uh, I'm here joined with a fantastic guest. We had him on when we were building up really early to the draft. It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network. Joe, how are you? Hey, Jack, I'm doing good. Good to be on with you and uh, talking football, talking Brown. So this should be a lot of fun. It's, it's an exciting time of the year. The, the draft might have happened. It seems like months ago but it wasn't actually that long ago now but um it was an exciting time of the year so have you sort of recovered and what's it like being involved with the draft network because it's obviously such a massive amount of work for that short period well me personally i got married the saturday after the draft so as soon as the draft was over i was in full wedding mode with family and friends coming into town and then of course my honeymoon the, the, the entire week after so it's been a nice way to unwind a little bit, breathe, uh, maybe read a book. I've watched a little TV here in the last week, so it's been nice to unwind. But uh, we're spending some time over at the Draft Network right now, just kind of s- still recapping everything that happened uh, with the 2019 draft. But here in about a week or two, we're going to flip the page over to 2020, get heavily involved in summer scouting and really getting that base layer, that foundational work done for the 2020 class. So. We are a full-time website that covers this thing all year long, and we're going to keep the discussion going uh, throughout the summer as we flip the script here to 2020 in just a few days. Oh, congratulations on getting married. I, I followed it all on uh, Kyle's Twitter, including the uh, Buffalo Bill socks as you went down the aisle. Yes, of course. <laughs> but no, um, so just overall, firstly, what do you make of the Browns draft and I want to start as well with Greedy Williams. I would have had him at 17 in the early mocks that were going. And um, the fact that we got him in the second round just seems amazing. Yeah, really impressive, right? I mean, you don't have a first round pick, but you still kind of have a first round pick because if the Browns had the 17th pick in the draft and they drafted Greedy Williams, nobody would have blinked an eye. But instead, you got him in the second round. And so you have to love how this just all came together the marriage of need, right? I mean, we know that Cleveland needed that opposite, that guy opposite of Denzel Ward. And to get it with a guy like Greedy Williams, who is as physically gifted as any corner in the class, is really exciting. Now, there's a reason he fell in the second round. There's some concerns with Greedy Williams. He has some warts. And if you watch his tape, you see some really high-level stuff. But then there's some maddening moments where he just doesn't finish plays. He doesn't continue covering and he gives up some cheap receptions. And then there's also times where he'll make some business decisions and choose not to tackle. Well, I think Cleveland is the perfect spot with his buddies from LSU, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, those guys being the leaders in the locker room or among the leaders in the locker room, making sure that Greedy is fully bought in. I think this is the right situation for him. The opportunity's there for him to start opposite Denzel Ward. And I think this is just a masterful job uh, by uh, John Dorsey to get a first round talent without having a first round pick. Yeah, no, I was I was 
so excited when he was there. I was sat there going, I'd have been happy just to trade up to 33 and grab him right at the start of the day. And then as he continued to fall, it was like, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And um, no, the fact that he's a Brown, I, I, I was beating the drum for him at 17 before the OBJ trade. So to get him was amazing. And the next name was a complete surprise for me. Um, I'm not a fan of linebackers as a value position, but we signed Tacky Tacky linebacker from BYU. What did you make of that? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I like the linebacker they took a little bit later who we'll, we'll talk about, I'm sure. But Taki Taki is interesting. Um, if you want a guy to serve as an overhang defender, play in space, tap into his athleticism, use him in a pursuit style role, I think you have something here in Taki Taki. But, you know, he's a player that has his own share of issues. It was a little bit early for me. I wouldn't have taken him quite that high. Um, but I think that, you know, the Cleveland identified linebacker is obviously a position of concern, and they made a couple of investments at the position. Uh, you like how he's grown. You know, this is a guy with a ton of off-field issues early on in his career at BYU, theft in 2015, uh, spent 2016 away from football, uh, had some, special, some suspensions due to fighting and missing team events. But then he really kind of turned things around, and, and, and you'd like to see that growth. He was a team captain in 2018. There's high praise coming from the coaching staff and teammates there at BYU. And he was a guy that fared well for himself, I thought, the Shrine game. So I like a guy that's ascending, but he's a guy that he, he you worry about his processing skills and how consistent he is uh, taking on blocks and some of the, the detailed stuff of playing the position. I like his athleticism in a pursuit style role, but he's got a ways to go here to become a complete linebacker. Uh, I, I think that's fair I think we'll see him a lot more rush in the past and it's can he develop that coverage side of the game then, right that's that's the big concern with him yeah then then the next name we drafted sounds like a character from out of Game of Thrones is Sheldrick Redwine it just slot right in perfectly there I don't think anyone would have batted an eyelid but uh safety out of Miami yeah, I, I like Sheldrick Redwine a ton. Uh, I, I focused heavily on the ACC for the Draft Network last year, so it was kind of good to have a very strong base understanding of his game entering the season and then to see how he grew. And when I watched him in, in 2017, you know, it was a lot of, you know, can he make plays on the ball? And, and I saw that really improve in 2018. Thought he was much more comfortable finding the football, working into to, to throwing lanes and really being disruptive at the catch point. I always liked his physicality. He's a guy that come downhill and hit you. He's physical in coverage. He has experience at uh, at playing slot, and so he gives you that versatility to serve as not only a high safety but a low safety, but as a big slot. So if you're looking for versatility. You get the Sheldrick Redwine. I thought he was one of my favorite picks that they made in the entire class, giving them another piece in that secondary that can be versatile. You can play to the matchups a bit, and uh, obviously with Jabril Peppers no being no longer in the mix here. Uh, getting uh, a piece that can help replace some of what was lost there was a good move. So uh, I like this pick, love the versatility, and I think that he's a more complete player than uh, your typical fourth-round safety. No, it's, it's certainly someone that excites me. And then um, the next pick, uh, I just tweeted a, a, a sick emoji from um, Team America uh, when this pick was made, and I – the number one thing for me about the draft network mock um, draft machine is that there's no specialists and specialists don't deserve to be drafted in my world. So the fact that we took a kicker, 
I will never. Oh, it wasn't a kicker next. It was Mac Wilson, but uh, we'll do the kicker first. It's, um, yeah. What? What's well, your, you know, I, on should, should teams ever draft a specialist? I am more pro specialist drafting than you are. I think. Um, I think there's value, especially for punters. I mean, kicker, they're both important. I think they're both important. If you draft a guy, they they need to be the guy, right? Like you don't take chances on guys that aren't going to be your starting kicker and punter, but having a reliable one is very important, right? I mean, you don't, you need to make sure that those are going through when you need those points. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't feel like the Browns had a big need at kicker. Uh, so that's something that surprises me. And I certainly don't have any great scouting takes for you on Austin Cyber and what type of talent he is. But, you know, if, if there was a need here and they felt like this could be their guy and Austin Seibert's the kicker for the Browns for the next eight, nine, ten years, nobody's going to bat an eye on, on them using a fifth-round pick on him. But, um, you know, I, I certainly didn't go into this draft thinking, hey, Cleveland needed to come away with a, with a new kicker. Yeah, I'd, I'm always up for uh... – Two-point conversions, going up for it on fourth and short. So anytime I see the specialists come out, uh, I'm just sat there going, no, well, why are we doing this? Let's, let's go for two. But uh, hey, uh, <laughs> I'm willing to push the analytics as far as it'll go. The obviously player before that was Mac Wilson, uh, linebacker out of Alabama that you touched on. Um, I thought this was a really interesting pick because there's rumors that he might go a bit earlier. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, I thought he would go earlier as well um especially in this year's linebacker class where you didn't feel like there was a lot of quality throughout the entire draft to come away with him in the fifth round I think was great value only a 17 game starter in college and you're going to see some ups and downs with him on film but his peaks are really really exciting you think about him in space right in today's NFL you need linebackers that you trust to work in space and he has some very high level stuff not only in man coverage, lining up with running backs and tight ends, but even with his zone drops and, and really doing a good job of reading the backfield, anticipating routes, and really squeezing throwing lanes. And so I think in terms of him being able to make an impact on passing downs and coverage is something that I, I feel very comfortable with. And there's some good moments of him playing downhill and attacking into the line of scrimmage. He has good range to, to work outside the tackles. You're just looking for more consistency. And, and so I like the way that he profiles to the NFL. You like the Alabama pedigree. More consistency is needed. But I think right away he can help you in coverage. You're looking for a guy to step on the field in nickel situations, maybe even a dime linebacker, and, and trust that they're going to be where they're supposed to be in coverage. Mac Wilson, it, it looks like he's ready to do that. So I think that this was one of my favorite day three picks overall. Never expected him to get to the fifth round. And, you know, sometimes we, we look at draft classes and maybe you like the talent that they got, but maybe not in the order that they got them. Well, just bump Mac Wilson up to that Sione Taki Taki spot, flip the, flip the picks around, and I think you'll feel better about what they did. But Mac Wilson, to me, was one of the better picks on day three in the entire, in the entire uh, NFL. That's good. And it's good to hear anytime anyone talks about coverage as a strength for a linebacker is something I really like because that's what I want to see him doing. Um, we can work on the other side of the game. If you can't cover as a linebacker, I get a little bit concerned. The next guy was Prospect X. Um, there were some fantastic pieces written there, which I've gone back and read even post-draft and found really fascinating. It was Drew Forbes, offensive tackle, but potentially going to play inside out of South East Missouri State. Did you manage to do anything on him pre-draft? You know, of the 300 guys that I wrote full scouting reports on, I didn't get to Drew Forbes. He was a player that I had on my list. 
Uh, film wasn't easy to come by there playing from the Ohio Valley Conference. Uh, so I wish I would have got a chance to see him. I know he's got some good physical traits, but I can't speak uh, from an informed film perspective on Mr. Forbes other than, you know, I mean, look, he, he projects as, as potentially a left tackle. There's a need there uh, for, for Cleveland, you know, with Ray Robinson. I think he's on a one-year deal. Desmond Harrison doesn't look to be the answer. So I like the idea of getting a, a late-round offensive tackle that has some physical tools to work into and maybe can challenge uh, the depth of the roster and, and maybe even be a starter in time. But cannot speak from an informed uh, perspective on Drew Forbes from not having watched his film. Uh, that's fair. Uh, to get through 300 players is absolutely incredible. To uh, you, you can't do everyone. And then the final pick was Donnie Lewis Jr., cornerback out of Tulane. Yeah, Donnie Lewis is a player that I actually like a good bit. I uh, got a chance to see him at the um, East-West Shrine game, and he certainly popped there. Um, very competitive guy. His ball skills, right? I mean, and it goes back to production and I know that production doesn't always tell the story but this is a guy who broke up 37 passes and intercepted seven balls basically in three seasons uh, as a starter at Tulane and so ball production is very good and to get a player late in the draft that you know at a minimum can play the football but also fared well at an all-star game uh, throughout the course of the week of practice I really like now unfortunately we didn't get a chance to see him test I know he was had some type of an injury uh it was a that we didn't get any testing numbers on it. We would have liked to know what type of athlete you have, Donnie Lewis, but for the, for a late-round guy that is, is proven ball skills fared well at the Shrine game, has some upside of man coverage, I think you can do a whole lot worse late in the draft. No, it's certainly a position to go after just because looking at UDFA prospects, the, yeah. the two positions that perform best um, and sort of looking at numbers, as, uh, just looking at a sample of last season was running backs and cornerbacks. So um, I'm always happy when you go and start sort of grabbing sort of a cornerback in the seventh, because yeah, if, if they become just even a piece, then uh, you're always happy if you get anything out of seventh round pick. Yeah, no question. And I think, I think that's the, you're looking for somebody late in the draft that has some type of redeeming trait that they can, you know, kind of, be their trump card to make it. And in ball skills, that's 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 not a bad redeeming trade, if you ask me. Oh, so thank you for that sort of a, a wrap-up of the draft. What do you think sort of in store for the Browns this season? Because it's definitely an interesting season. It's the most expensive roster so far in NFL history. And um, will it deliver? Well, on paper, it should, right? And I think this is always challenging whenever we see a team really – have a, a, a couple of good off seasons in a row and managing the expectations, right? That's, that's, what's really challenging. We can look at this roster and say, Hey, this is a complete football team and they have everything they need to really compete, but it has to happen, right? The, the execution of that has to happen. And, and Freddie kitchens in year one of being a, an NFL head coach is a big task ahead of him to manage a roster. That's full of, of some strong personalities, some really talented guys, and, and making sure that everybody's on the same page and setting that standard every single day. And I know he said a lot of good things here early on, but, you know, it all has to come together. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer on this team. I expect them to be very good. I don't think anybody wants to play him. But, you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself at the same time and realize that it's easier, easier said than done and it has to happen. And so I, I like the potential of this team competing for 9, 10, 11 wins. Do I think they can win the AFC North? Absolutely. 
but I, I do have that bit of reservation with Freddie Kitchens. Again, year one as an NFL head coach, a t- team loaded with personalities. He's got to make it all come together. And I think that's the big challenge. I like this coaching staff. I like the roster. I just want to see it all come together. And for a young football team in a lot of ways, with these types of expectations, sometimes that's challenging early on. So can he put it together? It's all right there in front of him. We just got to see it happen. Yeah, it's going to be a very, very tough challenge there. Expectation management, I don't think there's any way they can uh, get back control of it after this offseason. But uh, it is one to know. And at the end of the day, once you get to the playoffs, anything can happen. It is a lot of luck and stuff involved. You've got the Patriots that have done it year on year. But with everyone else, it's it's toss of a coin stuff half them games. Well, I mean, here's the deal. deal. It's Baker Mayfield, right? I mean, that's the, all the, the great pieces around him, all that stuff matters. But, but this is about Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield was awesome last year. I know that Browns fans don't need me to tell them that. And so that's your guy, right? And so him continue to, continuing to evolve and, and work with Freddie Kitchens and now with Todd Monken in, in place here as the offensive coordinator, there's, there's so much excitement. And so I, I don't think that it's unreasonable to be excited and think that this is a playoff team. I just, before I start predicting that, you know, I, I, I want to see how this kind of comes together. I want to kind of get an eye on this team uh, throughout the course of, of the summer here with uh, OTAs and, and uh, preseason and training camp all coming up here. Uh, I think there's a lot to be excited about, and especially because number six playing quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. He looks like he's going to be uh, among the future faces of the NFL if he's not already. Browns fans are always up for hearing how good Baker Mayfield is. So we're always happy to hear that. So one last question before um, we wrap up is, is there sort of any early indication of sort of positions of strength? And I know a lot can change over the NFL season just in the draft next year. Is there sort of any positions where people are going, this is going to be a really good position for uh, a good draft or X position? I think it's going to be wide receiver. You know, I got a lot of work to do here, but, Early on, you think about Clemson and Alabama. They probably have five first-round picks, potentially. Between them at wide receiver, you got LaVisca Sinault from, from Colorado, Donovan Peoples-Jones from, from Michigan, and that's just kind of off the top of my head. I mean, Colin Johnson at Texas. There's, there's a lot of really good wide receivers. Jalen Rieger from TCU, the more I think, just name popping. And so, you know, we saw the NFL kind of – I don't want to say that they, they – diminished the value of receiver a little bit this year's draft. Some of them fell a little bit, and there's been some reports. You know, even Jim Nagy, the executive director of the senior, really put out a tweet this past week that said, hey, if you're 6'2 and you're a wide receiver in college and you're not, you know, a dominant player, then you need to switch to to cornerback because the, the NFL is kind of trending away from wide receiver. But I'll tell you, the early look at this, this coming class uh, shows a lot of guys that have a lot of experience and guys that really profile as first, second-round picks. It's an exciting time. So thank you so much for coming on. It's always really good to hear your stuff and everywhere else. Plug your work. I know it's in several places, but I really enjoy it. I appreciate that, Jack. Always good talking ball with you guys and uh, look forward to catching up here soon. So just plug your stuff. Other than the Draft Network, you've obviously got the podcast. Let everyone know where to find you. Yeah, so I mean, I I do, you know, full-time over at the Draft Network. So if you want to, catch written content about the NFL draft. I produce that almost every day. Podcasts is draft dudes, podcast, daily podcast covering the NFL draft. And I, if you're, if you're interested in the Buffalo bills, I also host a daily Buffalo bills podcast called lockdown bills. So 
the best tra- place to keep track of all my different uh, uh, content is, is Twitter at the Joe Marino. Fantastic stuff. We'll be chasing you later in the year when we uh, go head to head because Baker is playing all of the other first round QBs from last year. So uh, it's going to be a very exciting season. And um, no, thank you so much for coming on. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks, Jeff.